the songs in which we've been led, the character of the prayer in which we've engaged, all have already made our service, hopefully an encouraging and edifying occasion, and perhaps it even reminds us in some of the words of that most recent song that we sang, the characteristics associated with the friend that we have in the Lord, the marvelous wonder of the privilege of Christianity. Jesus did say, didn't He, in John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. And today, as we've assembled and gathered, hopefully we can break off that bread of life and use it day by day to assist us in living acceptably and pleasingly to our Heavenly Father. As always, we're thankful for both our membership and all the visitors who've come our way and it's our trust that as we assemble, we will offer the directed worship unto God that He so richly deserves. As you can see, not only on the wall to my left, but also in the bulletin, the title of the lesson this morning is Not Far From The Tree. And perhaps that immediately reminds each of us of statements or sayings that we have heard. The apple, perhaps other versions of fruit, normally do not fall far from the tree. It is with that in mind today that we will give some thought, not only applying that, of course, to apple trees, fruit trees of various varieties, but our interest more principally will surround the nature of life, specifically we as grandparents, parents, and older ones in relation to our children. As we do that, I would hope that we will see a division in the lesson. First, we're going to look at the bad. We're going to start by focusing attention on some things that are quite frankly and rather bluntly those things that are negative, hurtful, harmful. But also, as the lesson proceeds, we shall also reach that time when we can give more thoughtful appreciation to the good. As we begin the lesson, the initial thoughts, I suppose, are almost obvious. I have no doubt that parents and all of us have heard our parents say that we must be always careful and watchful because little eyes are watching us. To those of us who are mothers and fathers, to those of us who are grandfathers and grandmothers, aunts and uncles, may we never forget the fact that little eyes are riveted upon us. They watch what we do. They watch how we react. They watch where we go. They watch what we say. They watch how we deal with circumstances and make no thought to the contrary that they are more often than not going to follow what they see us do, even more than what they hear us say. That's another one of those things that's so penetrating, isn't it? We can say one thing, but little eyes and little hearts know if we really are living differently than what we say. They know if we practice what we preach. They know if we truly mean what we say. It is with that in mind that the Bible gives us a whole host of examples, and we shall not have nearly the time to look at all of them, but I've selected only a few. But as we look at them, we shall find very interestingly these kinds of matters restated over and over again. As we begin the lesson, then I would ask each of us to critically ask the question, what do the little eyes see in me? What do they see in my life? It's time to be very open and honest. We know if they're seeing what they ought to see or not. If they're not seeing what they should, maybe today's the time to do something about it. As we start in the Old Testament, there was a passage we read a moment ago or was read for us in our hearing it had to do with one of those ancient kings of the olden times. As I placed them in their ordering, which I thought would be most useful to us, I chose to first of all look at Ahaziah. 
I thought as we gave thought to him and east is the outset. Please go back one with me. Either I jumped two and didn't mean to or something, but please look at that middle one, the one about Abijam. As we read interestingly about him in 1 Kings 15, we shall not read nearly all that's given about him, but the following single set of verses is enough for us to consider. 1 Kings, the 15th chapter. Verse number 2 reads as follows. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of, of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. Abijam is a rather interesting Old Testament character. Though much might be said about him, this is all that's pertinent directly to our lesson this morning. David, of course, we well remember, was a notable king of Israel. At one time in his life, a man who walked after the ways of God because we remember. So interesting in that statement that he trusted in the Lord. But we remember he had a son named Solomon. There were times in his life when in wisdom he too followed the directive and the worship of God, and that was a notable time in his life. There was, though, times in Solomon's life when he strayed far from the truth of God. Influenced by the myriad of pagan wives that he had, he often lived in a way opposed to the truth which God had delivered. Solomon had a son whose name was Rehoboam. Rehoboam also was foolish in many ways. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14, speaking of Rehoboam, it says, He did that which was evil because he prepared not his heart to serve the Lord. He followed not the Lord God of his fathers. He did that which was evil, but now that brings us to Abijam. Rehoboam's son was named Abijam. So think with me what we've just seen. Abijam's great-grandfather was David. His grandfather was Solomon. His father was Rehoboam. You'll notice that a part of that legacy was positive, but the part that he chose to follow was the one nearest to him, and that was Rehoboam who acted so foolishly and who acted in that way which was evil. It was said again in verse number 3, Speaking of Abijam, he walked in all the sins of his father. What did Abijam see as he was growing up? What did he see in the life of his father Rehoboam? He saw a man that again, according to 2 Chronicles 12, he did that which was evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. You see, Abijam wasn't blessed with a godly father. He wasn't blessed with the kind of father he ought to have had and as a consequence, he chose to follow that way of evil. He followed daddy's footsteps walking in the way that was distanced from the truth of God. A sad spectacle indeed, wasn't it? As you continue to read the concourse of the Old Testament record of Abijam, in many ways it isn't very pleasant reading. We are not drawn to Abijam as a friendly, godly, lovely man who simply strove in honesty to lead people the way they ought to have gone. He walked in the sins of his father. As you'll notice in verse 3, it does say, which he had done before him. Now that lays a great emphasis on before him. What Rehoboam had done, Abijam watched him. 
The sins that Rehoboam had committed, he did them before his son Abijam. He didn't hide them. He thought, no doubt, he was doing that which was a good thing and that which was to be notable. But little eyes were watching him. And not only little, but even as Abijam reached adulthood, he still was impacted and influenced by the sins of his daddy. Today, isn't it true in so many ways that the fruit often doesn't fall far from the tree? Now, I know that a child will ultimately answer for his own disposition before the God of heaven. The Bible teaches that. But in terms of how he's influenced, in terms of how she's molded and guided and directed through life, what she sees in mom and what she sees in dad and what he sees in dad and mom are going to make an eternal impact upon the concourse of his life here and what, of course, will be the case hereafter. Little eyes are watching us. Are we aware of that? Do we think of that? Not only little eyes, but other eyes. Acquaintances, neighbors, and friends are watching what you and I do. Are we living what we claim to be? If we aren't, they know it. If we are, they also will appreciate that too. We can see, though, in the life of Abijam, the fact that he had a father. And even before Abijam, Rehoboam did things and eyes were watching And this verse again says, His heart was not perfect with the Lord. Because of what he had seen and his choice to follow that which he had seen, his heart was not perfect before God. Isn't it a sad thing when a parent, perhaps later in years, says, If only I had done this differently. By this point in life, little Junior has grown up and has now begun to do things that are disgraceful and shameful. The community knows it. The church knows it. Everybody knows it. But now parents can't do anything about it. Little Junior's grown up, you see, and he's his own man. Dad may wish then, and so too may Mom, if only I could turn back the clock 15 years. If only I could do things a little differently. But that is one of the things about this life, isn't it? It's a one-way street. We can't turn back that clock. Once those years have passed us by, the opportunity to influence in the way that we could have done then is gone. And it isn't to say we can't strive to make things right again. And it isn't to say that there might not be opportunities for repentance and proper living, but in terms of that time that could have been understood... And those opportunities that were known then, they simply don't come back our way. I wonder how often Rehoboam, in the life after this one, if he died not right with the Lord, and he left the scenes of this life, and the Scriptures seem to indicate that he left this life unprepared to meet the Lord. I wonder how often in the Hadean realm he has wished. How often he has desired that if only things could have been different. Not only Abijam. Let us notice perhaps that statement at the bottom. Just as surely as these things have prompted each of us, surely as parents, to think very soberly about the responsibility that's ours, it is seemingly a general rule of thumb in life, isn't it? That again, if a parent lives godlessly, that if a parent lives indifferent to spiritual matters, usually the child will do the same. It's not to say it's always that way, but usually that's the way it develops. No wonder as parents we need to carefully and critically make use of the time given us. They grow up so quickly. 
And when they do, they become their own individuals. Maybe some more examples should come to our consideration. Now what about Ahaziah? Another one of the kings of the Old Testament era. I would invite you to look to 2 Chronicles 22 with me. In 2 Chronicles 22, beginning in verse number 2, the Scripture reads as follows concerning the life of Ahaziah. Forty and two years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign. And he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Athaliah, the daughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. Wherefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. Some brief comments about Ahaziah. Just as we noted a bit about the family heritage earlier of Abijam, it might be fair to note also the same here. The parents of this gentleman named Ahaziah were Jehoram was his father and Athaliah his mother. Two of his sets of grandparents were these. One of his grandfathers was Ahab. One of his grandmothers was Jezebel. Perhaps no more needs to be said than that. This fellow was unfortunately born into a pedigree of evil. Again, notice, his grandmother Jezebel, she almost of her own accord introduced and brought in the worship of Baal in its greatest character to the people of Israel. She was an idolater. She encouraged idolatry. She demanded idolatry. And little, her little grandson was born into that kind of environment. However, her husband Ahab, not much good might be said of him. He was spineless, he was weak, and he also had a temperamental character in which he was rather petty. All the while we see, what about the son and the mother? As you can appreciate, Jehoram too is not spoken of that highly in the Old Testament. But it might be noted powerfully about his wife Athaliah. She surely must be regarded right there with Jezebel as another of the most wicked women to have ever walked the face of this planet. Can we not again see, unfortunately, that Ahaziah was born into a family known for its evil, known for its rebelliousness to God, and known for having little interest in the truth which God had revealed? In light of all of that, now what kind of child was born into this kind of family? What might we say about Ahaziah? Note again the reading of verse number 3. He walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. You see, he followed in the steps of his grandfather. Not only that, in verse number 4, it says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord, while, or like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. May we never forget that last little phrase in that verse, To his destruction. Ahaziah, you see, was another one who had such an influential set of parents and grandparents, but they influenced him for evil. This might be a fair time to pause in our lesson and notice. You and I are very naive if we think no one is watching us. Parents and grandparents, there's somebody watching you. If it isn't your grandchildren, it may be someone else's. If it isn't friends to directly yourself, it's neighbors and others there's always somebody observing us carefully, watching, in fact, if we are who we claim to be. Because of ideas like that one, 
Isn't it sad to reflect upon Abijam? And isn't it sad to think about this little Ahaziah? Now we notice he was 42 years old by the time this record begins. But what he had seen through the first 41 years of his life, the kind of parents and grandparents that he had, remind us still that they impacted him directly. Our children very much will be impacted by what we do or what we do not do. Not only are they watching, there are little things day by day, matters that they learn from us on how to deal with things. Does little Junior see his father disrespect his wife? If he does, it won't be a bit surprising if little Junior grows up to marry a woman and he disrespects her. If little Junior sees Dad being the rules of life to fit himself in circumstances, will little Junior not grow up to do the same? If little Susie sees Mom behaving in irreverent ways toward her husband, will it not be shocking if she grows up to do the same to her own husband when she marries? Quite often... Isn't it true then the fruit doesn't fall that far from the tree? In light of this discussion of Ahaziah, perhaps one more. Another one of those kings of the Old Testament. His name, Amon. He too, unfortunately, was born into a pedigree that was more noted for its evil than it was for its good. The scene surrounding him is found in 2 Kings 21 and is that text that Brother Eddie read for us earlier in the service this morning. We won't read the entirety of that again, but there is one little phrase in it that I think is worthy of our consideration. Beginning in verse number 20, speaking of Amon, it says, He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh did. And he walked in all the way that his father walked in, and served the idols that his father served, and worshipped them. And he forsook the Lord God of his fathers, and walked not in the way of the Lord. Amon, too, you might appreciate so powerfully, has a pedigree that is not terribly positive. Again, his father was Manasseh. He reigned 55 years as king over Judah, and he did by and large that which was evil. He, in fact, encouraged idolatry. He encouraged the people to walk aside from God. He encouraged them not in the ways of godliness. As a layman grew up, he grew up in that kind of environment. Perhaps now as we revisit the text before us, it says, He did that which was evil as his father Manasseh did. Little Amon was watching how Manasseh was king. He watched the kind of laws he enacted. He observed the ways that he dealt with his servants. He carefully came to appreciate the nature of what life was about. And you'll notice he did the same as his father. Each of us as parents should soberly and carefully reflect upon exactly how much influence we have. It was the greatness of the wisdom of God that established the character of the family and put dad and mom as the leaders thereof, and they are to rear those children. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart therefrom. That word of Proverbs 22, 6 challenges all of us who would be parents, all of us who would be grandparents, great-grandparents, and even others, to never forget the fact, train up a child. Now we know parents are given the principal responsibility, but yea, 
Oh, what a great influence grandparents can have. When those grandparents come to visit with grandma and grandpa, they should sense in you the characteristics of what can mold and shape them. How many of us can think so fondly about grandma and grandpa? How many of us can still remember lessons instilled within us? I remember when my grandfather and grandmother attended here at this very congregation and Pa sat right here near the front on what for me is the right-hand side of this building. Pa loved to attend the services of the church. At home, he could be a stern and strong man. When he whipped me, I have never forgotten it. I don't look back upon that and challenge or charge him with wrong in any way. I, I needed it. And to this day, I'm thankful he did it. It hurt me. But I'm thankful that he had enough love for me and enough desire to try to make sure my character was molded in a way that he appreciated was better than what I was living at the time. We should be thankful for a grandpa or a grandmother who has that enough concern and love. It would seem that in some of these instances, grandpa and grandma didn't care that much, especially about what God said. We need to do better than that. We're going to give an answer to the God of heaven at the day of judgment for how we impacted not only our children but our grandchildren. What have we done to, in fact, lead them in the pathway of right? These three have been the bad. In every one of these instances, they've challenged all of us, I'm sure, to think about the case of life, the circumstance and situation in which we are. But now, what about the good? I had hoped that as we looked at them, at least we could contrast them to what we'd seen here. That is one of the greatest ways to learn something, isn't it? To set two things side by side and perhaps compare them or contrast them as the case may be. I hope this time the contrasts will be dramatic. As we look at the good, might we notice that not only may parents have an influence toward the way that's negative, they too can have an influence toward the way that's positive. Parents can also be the very ones to influence and instill within their children the pathways of rightness that they shall never forget. And these not only will be notable citizens of the earth, they will be notable citizens in the kingdom of God. Look at just a few of these examples. We might well again start in the Old Testament, but rather quickly work our way in a moment to the New. In Genesis 18, 19, it was there said of Abraham, God said He knew something about him. That to me speaks a great deal, and doesn't it to you? God knew something about Abraham, and this is what He knew. He will command His children and His household in the way of godliness. God knew that much about Abraham. He's often called the father of the faithful, but of that character, God knew that He would command His household and His children in the way after me. No wonder then there was a boy born to that family whose name was Isaac. He too was the son of promise. He too was the one who was, of course, the father of Jacob, and the family of the faithful came forth from them. Isn't it beautiful to notice how different? Because again, the fruit didn't fall far from the tree, but the tree sure was a different kind of tree, wasn't it? A tree known for its faithfulness. A tree known for its integrity in regard to the Word of God. A tree that was centered on the truth that God had revealed. Now we aren't about to say that Abraham never made any mistakes. He did. 
But nonetheless, he was reckoned as the one whom God selected, called out of Ur of the Chaldees, led into that place that would finally and later be the land that even his own family would ultimately inherit. But he was the one that was to be the individual of whom is spoken in Genesis twenty-two eighteen. Because thou hast obeyed my voice, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. That is a great statement. It is a powerful statement and it was reiterated to Isaac and stated again to Jacob. All of that tells us again here, fruit didn't fall far from the tree, but it was a good kind of influence. May we then ask ourselves, are our children seeing in us an influence that may help them on their journey to heaven? That, my friend, is what it's all about. They may be the greatest individual on earth in a secular fashion. They may even become the president of this country. They may be the president of a local company. But if they aren't members of the kingdom of God, haven't they ultimately missed it all? Haven't they ultimately fallen short of the grand thing that surely any godly parent would most want for them? I think it fair to say that for a godly father and mother, the most prideful thing that can ever be said, my son, my daughter is a faithful Christian. All else that might be said about them, as complimentary as it might be, seems to fall at most at plan B compared to that plan A statement. As you look at a statement like this one, to do justice and judgment, this thought of Abraham's influence upon his family. I know that as I stand before you today, all who here are godly parents and who have godly children, I know you're thankful. And may we each thank God every day for the kind of decisions that our children have made, the pathway of rightness that they've chosen. But may we not become too loose or slack, but may we continue to influence them in the way that's good. If the standard of time holds its sway, we will pass on from this life before they will. May they have a heritage behind of which they can say from Psalm 16, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Wouldn't it be great if our children can at least have that kind of thought about us when we've moved on, that the lines for them have been bounded by our influence in pleasant places. Not only the instance, though, of Abraham, what about some New Testament ones too? As you look with me at these, perhaps Timothy should come to mind next. As you and I give thought to Timothy, we do read much about him and his family in 2 Timothy chapters 1 and 3. In particular, I would invite us to notice in chapter 1 that something was said about Timothy, that he had an unfeigned faith. That word unfeigned means real. It means genuine. It means unhypocritical. Timothy was the real deal. Though he was a fairly young person, it would seem at the time, he was nonetheless real in his faith. He didn't just say one thing and live a different way. He was who he claimed to be. But Paul was ever so mindful to quickly say this, That unfeigned faith first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice. Again, it seems the fruit didn't fall far from the tree. Now, we might notice from Acts chapter 16 that Timothy's father was such that he was a Greek. It would seem that in terms of the greatest influences upon his life, it came from mother and grandmother. 
In other words, these who were committed to an appreciation of the truth of God, these who knew the Scriptures, are the very ones who used that to influence Timothy. For in 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul again to Timothy said, I know that from a babe thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Here was a youngster, and maybe you and I can imagine, mother and grandmother reciting, reading to him, giving thought to the Word of God at the earliest ages of his life. Today, may we ensure that as parents and grandparents, we do the same. Take them to Bible study. Make sure they're there in Bible classes and ask them about what they learned. Let them tell and recite to you the stories of Noah and Jonah and Abraham and the Lord. Let them be such that you see the gleam in their eye as they treasure and learn to appreciate the things contained in the Word of God. Those stories and those records of truth they learned at that early age, they'll never forget. Furthermore, as you note with me some of the other statements about Timothy, here was one, again, who was described as having an unfeigned faith, one who was in fact the companion of Paul. Remember, he became Paul's companion on the second missionary journey. And it was he to whom Paul wrote two books in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy. And it was he that Paul left in charge, if you please, of the character of the churches in the city of Ephesus. You'll notice as 1 Timothy 1 verses 3 and following tell us, Paul left him in Ephesus to put in order the things that are wanting. Can we not see in all of that, Timothy became a bold and strong force for good. How could it be? Because the fruit didn't fall far from the tree. His mother and his grandmother impacted him, not only in this life, but through all eternity by the good that they had assisted to instill within him. Questions then about you and me today. Are we as urgent and as serious about that? We often encourage our children, and ought to do so, they have interests and things in life. And to be sure, one of the things that any parent has to carefully consider is how to properly deal with them. Especially if you have at least two children, you know that they're different. Even though they came from the same stock of parenthood, they're different. We each appreciate different talents, different interests, different appreciations in life. Sometimes we as parents must struggle with that. What may be a proper punishment for one may in fact need to be a little different for another. It's not that we treat their children differently. It's important that they never experience any degree of favoritism. But one may have such a tender heart that only a reprimand by word is almost enough to break the heart. And they'll never do again that same means of sin. But on another, it may take more than one whipping because that one's a bit more rebellious. That one's a little bit harder to reach. We as parents must discern that distinction and strive to teach and, and instill within them the best we can. As you give thought with me to Timothy, perhaps one more thought. Just as surely as so far we have seen about the nature of what he saw in his mother and grandmother, this unfeigned faith, do our children and grandchildren see that in us? Do they see a person who truly treasures this book, who reads it, who never misses the assemblies, but is always desirous of learning more about what it says and is interested in implementing that too? 
As I mentioned earlier, we often encourage our children. We encourage them to play ball. We encourage them in their school studies. And those are fine things. But if we don't ever encourage them in this, aren't we missing the greatest point of all? No wonder then we should strive to encourage them in that way too. Maybe assisting them in ways when they have a Bible project. Making sure to help them, to encourage them. Here at Pippin, as we participate in the Bible Bowl, for instance, from year to year. And as we engage in other activities, may we always desire to live in a way that they can see in us our love for the truth so that they too can hopefully learn to love it as much as we. I would suspect that as we come to one final example, the one at the bottom of the slide, John the Immerser, John the Baptist. His record is found in the New Testament, but he lived beneath the old law of Moses. Might we notice quickly something that is said about him? Jesus cataloged him in John 5.35 in the following way. He, speaking of John, is a burning and shining light. He furthermore stated in Matthew 11, verse 11, that among those born of women there hath not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Now those two complimentary statements alone lift so highly the character of John. Question, did the fruit fall far from the tree? Let us think a moment about his parents. John's father was named Zacharias. His mother was named Elizabeth. And we learn in Luke 1 verse 6 that these two walked in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. Maybe it's no wonder that John was the way he was. He had parents who had a desire to live after and follow the Word of God and to walk in all of its commandments blamelessly. He grew up in a household in which mother and father appreciated the integrity, the requirements, and the truth of the Word of God. He saw in them the greatness of that devotion, and he came to have the same element of devotion. All those questions then prompt us to think very powerfully as you close that particular slide and as we come near the close of our lesson, not far from the tree. Our children will be greatly impacted by what you and I influence upon them. What then are the things you most want for your children? If you were asked the question, what do I most want among any other thing for my son, for my daughter? Is it to be the star of the football team? Is it to be the best performer at the, at the choir at school? Would it be a good citizen to have a good job and make a good living? Or would it be, above all things, I want him to go to heaven? I want her to go to heaven. Then if that's true, maybe we should encourage them. Plant the seeds in their mind from an early age. Son, I'd love for you to be a gospel preacher. Son, I'll help you in any way I can. I'll buy you books and materials. It would delight you. It would delight myself and your mother for you to be an elder of the church. Live your life in purity and be a stalwart defender of the truth all your life. If that's what we want for them more than anything else, then we need to move them, at least influence them in that direction. Again, I'm not by any means saying those other things in life are not inappropriate, but they have their place. But if there are one wish above all others is for them to go to heaven, then that ought to be the top rung of the ladder of our influence to move them and lead them in the direction. 
that starts with them seeing in me what they need to see. Do they see in you as mother and grandmother, as father and grandfather, even as others? Do they see in you that which will influence them in the ways of right? May we all appreciate the responsibility that's ours to influence along the lines of Abraham, along the lines of John the Baptist, along the lines of Timothy. And may we never influence along the lines of Ammon, along the lines of Abijam, and along the lines of Manasseh and the others that we saw. As we conclude this lesson this morning, the question now rests to each of us. If you need to respond in a public way today to the gospel call of invitation, if the tree right now is such that you would be fearful for the fruit to fall too near it, make some changes today. The time that you've lived can't be relived, but you can make some changes and repent from this day on. You can start to influence those children, those grandchildren. If you're not doing that in the way that's right, in the way that's godly, in the way that's appropriate, but you sure need to leave those past ways of sin behind because little eyes are watching you. And sadly, they will often be moved by the influence of the devil to follow the wrong instead of the good. If today you're not a Christian, why not make that change today? The Son of God died at the cross for you, that you could be a good and wholesome influence. You need to believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His great name as a Son of God and be baptized. If you've done that and you've begun to walk with Him, but you've allowed the influence and the graduality of time to move you away from the truth, and now little eyes are seeing an example that's not wholesome, make a change starting today. The gospel call of invitation is extended to you in 2 Thessalonians 2.14. And if you need to come now, we'll pray with you and for you that God will forgive you. And if we could be of assistance, why not do that as together we stand and while we sing?